Thanks for joining us for this Sunday worship gathering. We're continuing to explore the book of 1 John in a message series we're calling Authentic, Finding What's Real in a World of Fake. Let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has for us today. Hi, Journey. How are y'all doing today? Great to see all of you. Fun, actually, to be together as God's kids today. Let's get to the book of 1 John. We're in week four of this study. We're cruising through the book of 1 John. It's written from a pastor, Pastor John, we call him, to a bunch of churches, ours included, us included. And John's challenge to us, to the church, is all about authenticity. It's just simply all about authenticity. That's why we call the series Authentic. Is our faith in Jesus Christ real or is it fake? Is our faith in Jesus Christ real or is it fake? And in that uh, vein of real and fake, there's a really popular misconception out there. Maybe you'd even call it a particularly notable Christian urban legend, you might even call it. And this Christian urban legend, as it goes, is that United States Secret Service never ever shows bank tellers counterfeit money when training them to identify counterfeit money. Anyone ever heard this before? Anyone ever heard? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. United States Secret Service, as the urban legend goes, never shows bank tellers counterfeit money when training them to identify counterfeit money. The legend goes that agents who do this training, they show bank tellers only genuine money. They only show them real money according to the legend so that when the funny money appears at their counter or in the vacuum tube thing in the dry, how'd I do that? Banking people, yeah, that was, yeah, no charge for that. The vacuum tube thing, you know, from the drive-through and when the counterfeit money shows up there, as the legend goes, that they'll know that it's phony, like, intuitively because they've just spent so much time handling the real thing. It's all they've ever handled, according to the legend, is the real thing. They've never touched counterfeit money. And this Christian urban legend is often used to make the point that we Christians ought to only study God's truth, nothing but God's truth. We ought not ever read anything but God's truth. And so I've probably used this illustration before to make the point. You may have heard this story, this farce from me. But so a pastor catches wind of this story, this urban legend. He didn't know it was an urban legend at the time. He's like, I'm going to hunt that down and find out if that's even true. And so he does. He chases down one of the Treasury Department's Secret Service agents in charge of training bank tellers, teaching them how to identify counterfeit money. Tells them this story. And you know what the agent did to this pastor? He LOL'd. The agent literally laughed out loud at this story. He was, the agent was incredulous. Who would start such a silly story, he asked. And even more ridiculous, who in the world would dare believe such a silly story? And I'm like, oh, it was me. I believed it at one time. The pastor, he got a letter from the Secret Service agent confirming that they do indeed show examples of counterfeit money to bank tellers to teach the difference between real and counterfeit Money. He has proof, tangible proof. So Pastor John, you're wondering, what in the world does that have to do with anything to do with First John? Pastor John, when he writes this letter, First John, he takes a really similar tack with all of this. The place he starts the letter is working the churches that are under his leadership through these revelations. Revelations of what's false, false teaching, false living that was going on in some of those churches. What was authentic and what was fake. Then Pastor John works this letter down to the place where it's time now to reassure people in those churches who are staying the course of correct teaching about Jesus, who he is, what he's about, in turn what a life of a Christ follower is meant to look like. 
So he's taken us to those two places, and now, today, we're in this place in this letter when Pastor John's going, okay, it's time to, this is on your notes page, it's time to build up the church. It's time now to build up the church. We've talked about falsehood, we've talked about all that stuff that's been going on, and now it's just time simply to build up the church. I don't know about you, but I have these seasons, times, I think probably most Christians have these, when you look around this world, and there's just an awful lot of negativity. Do you, do you, do you see the negativity out there? Right? Do you see the negativity out there? This barrage, and we see it on TV, and we see it on our phones, and we see it on computers. We see it printed on paper. We hear about it so much when we talk to people. It's like bad news almost all the time. Discouragement, disheartening stuff. And I don't know about you, but I sure have times where I'm like, good heavens. We say in Christianity an awful lot, like, God's got this. No matter how bad it gets, God's got this. And I have moments where I go, does God really have this? doesn't feel like he has this. Sometimes it feels an awful lot like someone else might have this. And as a Christian, sometimes my shoulders slump. There's, wind gets knocked out of my sails, and you wonder, Maybe you're with me in this. You wonder, is it all worth it? Wouldn't it be easier to not care about following Jesus? Right? Wouldn't it be easier? All the opposition, all the discouraging news, all the negativity. And Pastor John comes along just like any good pastor does. And he like puts his arm, and it's kind of what he's doing with us today. He puts his arm around us, and he says, yeah, there's an awful lot of negativity. I know, I know. But he puts his arm around us, and he goes, It is so worth it. Jesus Christ is so worth it. And no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much much negativity that we encounter day in and day out, Pastor John says, Almighty God does have this. And he does this thing where he's like, stand tall in your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't slump your shoulders. Stand tall in your faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I talk to people about putting steel in their spine. I love coming alongside people, leaders, folks, and helping put, they're in a particularly low moment, and helping put some steel in their spine where, where you're like, oh, okay, I wasn't sure I could make it through that because I'm just slumping over, and then you just put some encouragement, some life, some belief, some hope, and then you're like, whoa, I can stand tall in my faith in Jesus Christ and I can walk and I can hold my head up and I can face all of this and that's exactly what Pastor John's doing. Look at the end, the very end of 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And now, dear children, Pastor John says to us, where's dear children? That's how he's referring to us. Remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage, there it is, and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Pastor John's building up our faith in him. He's building up the church. He's going, there's so much that's trying to tear the church down, and so he's coming along to try to help build us up, to build the church up. And remember, John's writing this 2,000 years ago. It hasn't gotten any better. As a matter of fact, it's probably gotten worse How much more steel in our spines do we need now? And maybe you've been a person who's been in a marriage or been in some kind of a relationship when all you can see is just how very badly everything is going. Do you ever have these? Where all you can see is like this thing is going nowhere. It's bad and it's bad and it's bad. And it may be from your vantage point, it may be the relationship, the marriage, it might even be over. 
as you see it. That's the perspective that you have. And you've ever had the experience of someone coming along, putting their arm around you, your significant other, one of you, both of you, together, individually, and they just take a look, an honest assessment of your relationship, and they go, yeah, there's sure some stuff here that you could roll up your sleeves and go to work on, and I'll help you with that. But they say these words to you, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. There's hope, a whole bunch of hope, as a matter of fact. And have you ever had somebody come alongside you, put their arm around you, believe in you enough that it gave you what it took for you to stay the course? And instead of pulling the ripcord, you see your way through with God's help, with someone's encouragement. Have you ever had somebody do that with you? By the way, I think we need a whole lot more people in this world doing that very thing for a whole bunch more people. Just coming alongside, encouraging, speaking words of life and hope and encouragement. You can, walking people through the trials and the fire. And Pastor John's doing that very thing. He's doing it with the churches he's writing First John to. And it's one of the things actually that we hope and we pray that these worship gatherings on Sundays around Journey would be every single Sunday. That maybe sometimes we come in here and our shoulders are slumped and the wind is out of our sails and there's just this grand infusion of hope that helps renew this sort of shot in the arm to your faith and you go like, okay, God does got this no matter what it is, no matter how steep the mountain is that you've got to climb up, no matter how deep the pit is that maybe you're laying face down at the bottom of, no matter how many million gazillion pieces your heart might be shattered into, no matter how broken the road ahead may seem, he is God and he does have this. And so Pastor John, as he's doing that, as he's building up the church, he's doing it in the context of two very specific things. He's saying on one hand, it's justice. It's about doing what's right. And he talks about that in chapter two, verse 29. And then he also says it's also about the other side of the coin. On the other hand, it's also about sin sometimes, isn't it? Where everyone who sins, he says, chapter three, verse four, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. These two very different, very opposite ways to live. There's justice, which is doing the right thing, and then there's sinning, which is introducing damage into your relationship with God, doing the wrong thing. And so here comes Pastor John, and he sets this whole deal in that context, and he also does something else very specific as he builds up the church. Remember, the church isn't a building, You please always remember, the church is not a building. Church is us. Church is people. John's not building up buildings here. Churches do need buildings. We know that. But he's building up people. He's building us up, the church up. And specifically, he's seeking to build up our confidence as God's children. He's seeking to build up our confidence as God's children. And there's a catalyst, this really cool catalyst that Pastor John uses to encourage us to persevere in our faith in Jesus Christ. See if you catch it, 228 and 29 again. And now, dear children, here we are, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he, what's the word? Returns. You'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. This catalyst that John reminds us of to help us persevere in our faith is the truth that Jesus is what? 
He's coming back. That's exactly right. Jesus is going to return. And when that happens, when Jesus does come back, which by the way is imminent, it could happen anytime. Thief in the night, no one knows day or hour. When it happens, John says, I want you to be able to approach Jesus free of fear, free of fear, full of courage. No, what's the word? Shame. No shame. No shame. And the only way you can do that is if you're authentically full of faith in Jesus Christ. And you got to understand, Pastor John's not invoking shame here to try to scare Christians into or out of anything. Rather, John invokes shame here because on the day when Jesus shows up, people who have not yet reckoned with the truth of who he is, the reality that he is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's not just a make-believe fairy tale figure. People who have not yet reckoned with that, they're gonna be feeling a whole bunch of things. On that day, people who have not had that reckoning, they're gonna be feeling a whole bunch of things. And those aren't gonna be good things. They aren't gonna be good things. Which, friends, is precisely why, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's why we go and it's why we tell, it's why we share, it's why we proclaim, both with our lips and with our lives, the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we don't want a single person in this world approaching Jesus on that day with anything except for stealing their spine, the utmost of confidence, the utmost in courage, just like John talks about here. And the only way we can possibly have that courage, that confidence, when Jesus returns, is because of him, because of faith in him. And then Pastor John seeks to build up the church, build us up by unpacking for us our identity as God's children. Our identity as God's children. Look at chapter three, starting in verse one. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his what? His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. It's all gonna be very clear on that day, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure so because of Jesus, because he's what, he's what he's done for us on the cross by his death, his burial, his rising from the dead, Pastor John's going like, see, we are his kids. That's who we are. If you think back of all the years that Journey's been here, that's, that reality, that truth, that's been one of our calling cards as a church. I'd call it one of our spiritual signatures even, one of our distinctives as a church community. We take it all back to our identity as children, sons or daughters of the most high God. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Parents, you know this already. You love your kids no matter what, right? If you're a parent, you love your kids through thick and thin. And sure, you have these moments we do as parents that you wish your kid would have chosen that differently and that differently and that differently and that differently. But you don't stop loving them simply because they make a choice that isn't maybe the best choice, isn't maybe what you would have chosen for them. They're your kids, right? And as your kids, they mean more to you than anything else. You'd turn over heaven and earth for them. As a matter of fact, any parent, 
would gladly step in front of oncoming traffic, even if it means that the parent dies so that their kids can live. That's the parenting deal. And what we know is that God did that for us, didn't he? He did that and so much more for us, which means that the defining characteristic of our lives, the root of our identity, it isn't found in our name. Sure, that, that's part of who we are. It's not found in our occupation, our job. That's what we do. It's not found in our economic standing. That, that's just that. But rather, our core identity, who we truly are, is found in the truth that we're either a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That's who we are. A son or a daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. So here's what Pastor John does. He's like, you're a son or you're a daughter of the Most High God. And then he says, so live like it. So live like it. So step into that identity that you're a son or you're a daughter of the Most High God. So live like it. How do you do that? By becoming fully who God made you to be as his child. A son or daughter of his and it doesn't mean that you just, you know, scrub yourself up and try to make yourself look like a son or a daughter. Uh-uh. It's about the humble submission of our lives to him, inviting him to fully heal us, fully remake us, fully transform us, so that the old person that you were before you met him gets morphed, this metamorphosis takes place from who you were before you crossed the line of faith in Jesus Christ to who he made you to be from the very beginning of all time. You're a son or you're a daughter of the most high God, so go live like it. And then Pastor John amps up the building up of us, the church, when he commends us all, he says, look, it's all about the love of God's children. That's what this is all about. It's all about the love of God's children. Look at chapter three, starting in verse 11. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. Here it is. We should love one another. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. His brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's the picture of real love because Jesus did it. Jesus walked it out. He gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then check this out. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Pastor John is reminding us that love isn't just something that we talk about but rather something that we do. Love is something that we do, church. A few years ago, a fantastic author, a guy named Bob Goff, he wrote this great book called Love Does. Anyone read Love Does? Fantastic 
book. Highly recommend it. And the gist of the book is that living a life fully engaged, he calls it full of whimsy, filled with the stuff that love does, that is all something that most people plan, most people intend to do. Most people's feet hit the floor in the morning thinking that way. I intend on loving people today, fully loving people today. But along the way, what happens? Well, life creeps in. Life gets in the way. And we forget. Doing love, it just gets lost a whole bunch of the time. And God says, it ought not get lost. It ought not ever get lost. Here's what he says. Christians, just land the plane. Land the plane on your plans to make a difference by getting to the do part of Jesus' love. Love is never stationary, he says. Love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Love does stuff. Love goes and serves and does and gives and love does. And Pastor John says the very same thing. Other people's suffering ought to matter to us. Love does. Other people's suffering ought to matter to us. Doing love looks like Christians, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, looks like us diving headlong into the most difficult social problems of our world and slugging it out against indifference, against the status quo, and making a meaningful contribution for the kingdom of God, invoking the kingdom of God through our love, our doing, our action. Because see, every single day, God sends every single one of us out with love, in love, to battle injustice, to look out for orphans and widows, to give sacrificially, and on and on and on it goes. And he doesn't, followers of Jesus Christ, get this, he doesn't give us the option of tagging out of that skirmish. We're in. We're all in. Love does. And finally today, number four on your outline, we're going to close with this. As Pastor John is seeking to build up the church, he puts pen to paper in order to, here's this word, we're going to say it together, one, two, three, buttress. You didn't do it. One, two, three, buttress. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Way to go. He's buttressing the confidence, again, of God's children. He's building up the confidence of God's children. And he does that how? Pointing us straight to Jesus Christ. That's it. Pointing us straight to Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 19 to 24. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is, this is awesome. God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. Okay, we're gonna get right to it right here, right now. This is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. It's the bottom line. 
It's faith in Jesus Christ and faith in him alone that ultimately gives us any confidence that we would have at all as God's children. It's not anchored in a church. It's not anchored in other Christians. It's not anchored in a pastor. It's anchored firmly in and through and by only our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's all. It matters. It's everything. It's the bottom line. It's the crux. Call it whatever you will. It's the watershed. Believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Would you set your stuff aside and close your eyes and bow your heads, please? And maybe you'd just inquire of the Lord, Lord, what is it that you have for me today? Lord, what is it that you're trying to get my attention about today? And maybe for you today, you realize you don't yet have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't yet believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe today you realize that if he came back, you wouldn't be able to approach him full of courage. That you might be someone who shrinks back, like Pastor John talks about. And Jesus is like, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone. Which is why he invites you to settle the faith matter with him once and for all. And that might look like for you that today you're coming face to face with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And you're grasping who he is the magnitude of his unconditional, undying love for you, his grace, his pursuit of you. Perhaps today for the first time you're grasping your need for his forgiveness. And maybe for you this is the day that you believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I'd invite you to pray with me. Just say, Savior Jesus, I believe in you. I've been working really hard trying to save myself, trying to prove to you how worthy I am, how good I am. But Jesus, I get it. Only you can save me. And so by faith, by faith alone, I receive your gift of salvation. Would you please be my Savior, Jesus? I I can hardly believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I can hardly believe that you rose from the grave for me to save me. Thank you, Jesus. Here I am, all of me, trusting all of you. Savior Jesus. Savior Jesus, thank you so much for these who are saying, it's you, I believe in you. Son of God, the one and only Savior of the world. 
and all that you've done that brings them to this moment right here. God, we celebrate, you celebrate, angels in heaven celebrate. Stunning, really. Thanks for letting us share in this moment with you. God, what a delight and a thrill that is for us. And Jesus, we thank you so much for Pastor John who wrote this letter a couple of thousand years ago to build us up, to build the church up because we need it. Jesus, you know that we need it. We're slogging through this stuff every single day and discouragement can often set in and we get disheartened. And and so thanks for using Pastor John in our lives to put his arm around us and go, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And in like form, Jesus, would you please use us in the lives of some other people around us who just need somebody to put their arm around them and go, it's so worth it. Come on, hang in, keep on. God's got this. And we declare, God, that you do indeed have this. And we trust you and we worship you with our whole lives, our whole hearts. Our everything, Jesus, is yours and you're the best. And it's in your risen name we pray all of this and everyone agreed together and said, 